what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another very exciting episode of your favorite watch-through podcast dedicated to the classic 1980s television series starring Michael Landon, Highway to Heaven. The name of this podcast is Highway to Heaven Revisited, and it is hosted by the two people you have heard talking to me. Give it up, everyone. Give a warm global podcast listener welcome to the one, the only, Rachel Mayer. Hi, Sam. How's everything going? Things are going pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good today. Good. It was a nice, crispy, sunny fall day here in uh, Minneapolis yesterday, and I took a couple big long walks, and I, I think I'm feeling better for it today. That sounds really nice. I also had brunch with a good friend earlier today. Had a good biscuit egg sandwich with some bacon on it. It was quite nice. Yeah, and where was that at? We went to Alma oh, over okay. on uh, University yep, Avenue. Yep. That sounds like a great weekend. So far, it's been pretty radical. That's awesome. I worked yesterday, so uh-huh. pretty much my weekend has been working, and then this is the highlight by far, just counting down until podcasting. Nice. Yes. Well, glad to have you here. And without further ado, this is the man of the hour with a mustache, Mr. Joel Looters. Hi, Sam. Thanks. Joel got a serious compliment on his mustache earlier today when we were out getting coffee. What did our young barista say? The best mustache she's ever seen in her life? Right. Something like that? Yeah, best mustache she's ever seen in her entire life. Yeah, how did that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> Great. I mean, feel absolutely great. And I said, thank you. You know, you could have your own. You just need to apply a little spirit gum to your upper lip and you could get a fake one. I don't think she knew what spirit gum was. No. Because she looked a little confused. She picked up on what you were saying pretty soon after, but she well, never heard that you before. You helped to clarify. You said, oh, yes, you could get your own fake one and attach it. And then she said something to the effect of like that I should make molds or 3D printings of my mustache. And then she hinted that this is a trend just waiting to happen. And I said, yes, it should be for anyone who's mustacheless could be walking around the Twin Cities metro area with my mustache. And the thought of that gave me pause and it tickled my ego. Oh, most certainly. I can only imagine. Rachel, is it a credible assumption that this rattled you a little? Oh, no. (laughs) No. Come on, Sam. It's going to take a little more than that. Does this annoy you that your husband is so attractive that women are just flinging compliments at his mustache (laughs) left and right? Dying for a reason to talk to me. No, I'm, I'm very secure in my relationship. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have wasted enough of your time already. We need to get down to the juicy bits of what I believe is episode 14 of season one of Highway to Heaven. What is the name of this particular episode we're going to be discussing in great detail today, guys? Episode 14 is called Plane Death. Plane? P-L-A-N-E, like airplane. Plane Death. Already the personification of vehicles. Is this the Knight Rider episode of Highway to Heaven? But instead of a talking car named Kit, it's a talking plane. Yes. I mean, you just got it right there. Yep, pretty much. (laughs) Okay, so how the computer from 2001 A Space Odyssey... There's a sentient program Mm -hmm. inside of an airplane. There are a lot of automobiles in this episode, but actually not a lot of planes. Interesting. I'm excited to know whether or not we bust wide open the uh, angel magic quotient of starting and stopping uh, motor vehicles in this episode. Ooh, we might have to keep count because I was not keeping track when we were watching. Okay. But I think it's up there, right, Joel? Yeah, we'll keep a running tally. I don't have it written down and I can't prove it. Hopefully somebody in our listener society will chime in online and uh, correct me if I am wrong, but I believe the number to beat so far with cars starting and stopping through the forces of angel magic, I think we're up to three cars in one episode. That seems right. Correct. Well, I can't wait to hear the tale unfold and uh, see if we can't beat that number today. I'm very optimistic. How's it begin? So we fade in and uh, what we see in the foreground are a series of country mailboxes. And in the background is kind of a country road going off 
off into the distance. Heading towards us on this country road is like a white old 70s big old car. Like a big 70s square cornered sedan of some sort, perhaps a Pontiac. Yeah. We find out in the next moment as the car pulls up to the mailboxes, a man gets out and takes out a letter that he's going to mail. But before he mails it, we get a shot of the address and it's made out to Mark Gordon. Is that the last name of our co-protagonist of this program? Yes. I did not know that either, but it is in fact Mark Gordon of the Jonathan and Mark duo. All right. For those keeping score, as far as statistics go, is episode 14 of season one of Highway to Heaven indeed the episode where we reveal Mark's last name. We would have to really check the pilot episode because I'm trying to remember if it was mentioned at some point, possibly when they got introduced, but I don't remember. Because Mark had a sister in that episode and she was a main character of that episode, but I don't remember you guys ever saying that character's full name. Yeah, I don't recall that either. We see this guy get out of the car. We also see hanging from his rearview mirror two big white fuzzy dice. A classic motif of the time. He gets out and he walks up to this row of mailboxes. There's one big red one, which looks more official looking, and he drops the letter into this official looking mailbox. Okay, so that's the country pickup mailbox, I guess. Oh, and I should say the car was golden color. It was a golden color car. A golden Pontiac Catalina. Sure. He gets back inside his golden Pontiac Catalina and starts driving back down this western country road. So Mark's got a friend, or a pen pal, or a secret admirer. Who knows? Who knows? We're going to find out. We cut to the sky where we see a one of those vintage military planes flying, you know, with uh, the four propellers going. Or as I wrote, small plane. <laughs> four propellers isn't enough. How many propellers does a plane need for you, Rachel, to qualify know. it as a large plane? I don't know how many propellers were on the plane. Well, it was a small plane. <laughs> Having been inside a few C-130s in my day, I can tell you it wasn't a C-130, but it looked like maybe what I should have looked this up, but it looked like something out of maybe the World War II era. Like the precursor to what would become the C-130. Bravo. And uh, we see it flying around, and now the guy who had seen earlier is now driving his car, and he's looking out his window up at this vintage aircraft. He's driving along and is looking out the window while he's driving, following the trajectory of this small plane. He's Mm -hmm. distracted driving. There is nobody else on the roads. It looks like they're kind of out in a deserty, mountainous area. It's They're in California. There's California license plates on the car, so there's nobody else around. So he's pretty safe to be looking out the window while he's driving. So you got some dust kicking up, sticking his head out out the window. Eventually he gets the idea to get a closer look and he pulls over and he stops the car and he pulls out his binoculars that he keeps in his car. Which reminded me that my dad used to keep binoculars in his car. Oh, that's huh. cool. He had really big, cool ones that he brought with him just about everywhere. Do you ever remember him stopping to look at anything with the binoculars? Any space aliens, UFOs? No, he mostly went to his exes and looked through the windows. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Not true. It's not true. No, I don't. I don't. That recall. explains a lot. I remember going to air shows with him and us using the binoculars at air shows. Sure, but that's about it. I remember taking binoculars to like a Minnesota Twins game, having really distant seats in the back of the Metrodome and looking down and being like, "Oh, there's Kirby Puckett. I wonder what he's thinking. I hope he gets a hit." So it's like they win one to nothing. That was like the Twins games I attended when I was a kid. It was just like game of defense and the most boring thing of all time. But it's kind of cool being there. Yeah. But just not a lot of cool baseball action. No, I'm not a big baseball fan, but I feel like there's never a lot of cool baseball action at baseball games. That's kind of what I don't understand about them. Yeah, it wasn't until I was drunk at a baseball game that I was like, oh, I get this. (laughs) It's like a really slow program that's going to have a natural ending at some point, and I can miss 50% of it. And they play music every couple minutes, and you can go, woohoo. So we're 20, 25 seconds into the episode so Mm -hmm. far. Do we get to know who's inside that plane? We then hard cut to a close-up of a remote control box. And the camera pulls back and we see someone who I wrote down as a 18 to 23-year-old guy in a black leather jacket with a yellow dirt bike behind him. And he's operating this big old remote control with a giant antenna. Tell me it's Jackie Earl Haley. Come on, tell me it's Jackie Earl Haley. I don't know who that is. He was the uh, motorcycle kid in uh, the original version of Bad News Bears starring... uh, Walter Matthau and uh, Tatum O'Neill. Yeah, it's not him. The actor is named Michael Bowen. 
who you may know him from the Kill Bill movies. Go on. He plays the evil male nurse from the very beginning named Buck. Oh, yeah, that the guy really... is nasty in that movie. <laughs> he also played another nasty role. He was in many episodes of Breaking Bad, where he played Uncle Jack Welker, the leader of the white supremacist gang. You know, I would certainly recognize him if I saw him. I saw every episode of Breaking Bad, but that does not ring a bell right now. Well, we learned that this kid's name is Jack, and in Breaking Bad, he played Uncle Jack. Whoa. Bookends. <laughs> I was looking up Tom Cruise the other day on IMDb, and if you look, most of the characters characters that Tom Cruise has ever played are all named Jack. There are so many Jacks. Huh. I couldn't tell you offhand which one other than like Jack Reacher. What about Far and Away? He's Jack in Far and Away, isn't he? He is. Maybe. I'm telling you guys, if you look at the list, there's a ton of Jacks. I think he is Jack in that one. Maybe that's the key to getting Tom Cruise in a movie. Just be like, hey, it's a cool movie. How do I know? I'm Tom Cruise. (laughs) How do I know that it's a cool movie? Tell me right now. Well, you play a guy named Jack. Sounds great. Yeah, I think it's actually probably that simple. Just nobody He's realized it yet. So then we see this guy operating this remote control car. He's looking up at the sky and at one point sets down the remote control and grabs a pair of binoculars he's got and he looks up at the airplane. Is something going wrong with the airplane? Something might be going wrong with the airplane and he grabs his gear, throws it in his bike and hops on his dirt bike and speeds away. This is amazing. Already you have an airplane, you have a motorcycle and you have a car on the road with some fuzzy dice. You have a lot of motor vehicle types covered right here. So then we cut back to our first guy sitting there by his car with his binoculars and he sees this plane and he sees it going down and so he hops in his car and drives over and you see him running up to this downed airplane and it's a little tiny remote control airplane a small plane Uh, you knew it was a miniature (laughs) all along rachel no i totally didn't know it was a miniature plane until that moment but so this plane has apparently crash landed and its little like hatch in the bottom has popped open fuselage thank you doctor (laughs) and there's uh plastic baggies full of a white substance spilling out it's a cocaine remote control plane but there's only one way to know the man from the car runs up opens the bag what's he gonna do with that white substance he licks his pinky dips it in puts it to his tongue he's like that's cocaine yeah only difference is it was his pointer finger. Okay. And I did. As soon as it happened, I'm like, he's going to put his finger in it. Do they do that anymore in TV? They always do. That's how you know it's drugs, right? Yes. So as he's digging through the fuselage and pulling out these baggies of cocaine, on the horizon behind him, we see about a half dozen dirt bikes revving their engines and coming towards him. That's his gang. Yep. Motorbike gang. Car guy runs to his car, sticks the keys in, goes to start it. Car won't start. He's looking over his shoulder. The dirt bikes are getting close. He jumps out of the car. The camera stays in the car. We see him run out of the car. The dirt bikes chase after him. The camera starts closing in on the fuzzy dice when we hear a gunshot. Whoa. He got snuffed out pretty quick, that fuzzy dice car guy. Tracking like a VHS, Sam. (laughs) Thank you. So now we cut to our pal Jonathan. Behind him is kind of a red house, and he is leaning on the front of the car. Next to them is an old-fashioned telephone booth. Well, not old-fashioned, but time-appropriate telephone booth. And Mark is in there on the phone and hangs up the phone and walks back to the car and tells John that uh, he... that uh, that Wow, what does he tell him? (laughs) What does he tell him? Hey, guess what? What? My best friend from Oakland dropped me a line. He's working at a town about 200 miles south of here, a town called Dieter. Oh, she would like to see him. Well, why don't we go see him? You're kidding. What about our next assignment? Well, I haven't got one yet. <sighs> that would be great. We were on the police force together. Charlie Down. I mean, you love this guy. Well, come on. What are we waiting for? Let's go see him. So now we are outside a house, a Western house. My guess it's Charlie Down's house because we see a mailbox with the word down very prominently written on it in front of the house. They pull into the driveway. A woman runs out of the house, frantic, going, oh, Charlie, Charlie, you're back. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) And Mark's like, Sarah, it's me. It's Mark Gordon. And she's like, oh, Mark, Mark, what are you doing here? Because we find out Charlie Down has been missing for five days. And we find out that Charlie works as a border drug enforcement agent. And both Sarah, Charlie's wife, and Mark are in agreement that this is very out of character for Charlie. And we find out Charlie and Sarah have a son named Robbie. They have contacted the sheriff. Everyone's gone out looking. No sign of Charlie. Sarah says that the 
sheriffs and the neighbors have done a pretty extensive search and nothing has turned up. Have they looked anywhere near where that bike gang ran over a guy after they shot him? They said it was an extensive search, Sam. Well, I guess that bike gang is really industrious. Sarah is played by actress Lee Bryant, who was Miss Hammond in Airplane and Airplane 2. Oh, excellent. I haven't seen those movies recently, but I'm certain I would recognize her. Internet tells me that they still hold up. So Sarah goes back inside. Mark turns to John and asks John, hey, is Charlie dead? And Mark says, uh, he kind of like looks skyward for a second and just says, oh, I, I don't know. Jonathan looks skyward. Okay, so Jonathan doesn't have a main line on no. knowing whether or not people are alive or dead on the planet. Earth. Well, I think if, you know, if the big man wants him to, he does. But in this case, he doesn't know. In this scene, we do meet Charlie and Sarah's son, Robbie, who's approximately like nine years old mm-hmm. around then. Yes. Is it Jason Bateman? No. Is it Corey Feldman? No. Dang, dang, dang. But it is. Getting warm. Rick Schroeder. No. It's uh, David Faustino. He's the big brother from The Wonder Years, correct? No. Oh, nice. He's the brother unmarried with children. Yes. Excellent. Welcome to the show, David Faustino. A young David Faustino. He's not a leapser, is he? No, he's not. Uh, But I did do a little bit of research on him. He is now currently the owner of the hip-hop funk nightclub on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood called Ballistics. And in 1992, he released a rap album called Ballistics under the name D-Light. One interesting thing about this scene when, what's the kid's name? Robbie. Robbie comes running out of the house. We find out that Robbie doesn't know his dad is missing. Sarah hasn't told him anything. She just told him that he's away for a while because, of course, we don't want to worry the kid. Robbie asks his mom, Sarah, if he can go rock hunting. And it's apparently like the middle of the day and he wants to go rock hunting. And Sarah's like, yeah, okay, just be sure you're home before dark. And little Robbie goes just running away who knows where. Nobody does that anymore. She wouldn't be like, dad's missing. (laughs) Something bad might have happened. Why don't you just take off for hours who knows where parental leashes were much longer back in 1984 yeah i mean this would have been nothing out of the ordinary so robbie's off rock hunting see you later david faustino can't wait to tell you your dad's dead later so next we find ourselves in the small town and uh mark and john pull up outside the sheriff's office they uh, step outside of the car and just down the block you can see that bike gang is out there and they're just like roughing up with some kids nothing indeed Detail, they look just, like they're like pulling somebody's shirt over his head is what I remember. That sounds just accurate. Like weird like rough housing. Classic move. Yeah. If you guys had to put money on a battle royale between this bike gang versus Satan's helpers, who wins? Satan's helpers. Oh, for sure. I mean, based on the matching jackets alone that the Satan's helpers had, <laughs> it would happen very fast. I think they would just turn around and run. No fight would be necessary. What we see is the gang leader, Jack, sees Mark and John getting out of the car, walking in towards the sheriff's office. He's like, I don't like that guy's haircut. And he actually gets up and starts walking towards them. He's got some intimidating to do. Is this a role play? Come on, tell me it's a role play. <laughs> it's not, because we get another hard cut and we are inside the sheriff's office with Mark yeah, and John. It, w- it would okay. only be a visual role, role play. <laughs> That's not going to work out so well. Not good for podcasts. No, no dialogue here. Just a lot of intimidating looks and stares. What are these guys doing in town? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're cutting to the sheriff's office. I wish there was some way I could help you but I'm as much in the dark about this as you are. Anybody see him to talk to him the day he disappeared? Nobody that I talked to. That's just about everybody. No sign of him, no sign of his car. How extensive was the search? I'll show you on the map. We covered this entire area here, surrounded in red. My son and some of his buddies went back up here in these canyons here on their bikes. No sign. He can't have just disappeared. I'm going to be honest with you. I think he just took off. What are you talking about? Well, I didn't push it with his missus about how they're getting along, I mean, but uh, wouldn't be the first husband to just pull up stakes. Marriage goes sour, afraid of the alimony, bingo, they're gone. No, not Charlie. Suit yourself. That's my guess. And besides, some of the people in town said they seen him boozing it up quite a bit recently and not fun drinking. But serious, forget your troubles kind of drinking. Mark isn't quite buying it. Uh, The sheriff then leaves. But we do find out one important thing in this scene. The sheriff says, my son and his buddies have searched the canyon on their motorbikes extensively. Uh, The plot Mm -hmm. thickens. Yes. So the sheriff of the town is exhibiting a tremendous amount of white male hubris. And uh, his son is part of this uh, cruel, cruel bike gang. Yeah. And they're remote control cocaine planes. Nobody is too concerned about 
Charlie being missing because clearly he just took off because he was tired of his wife. And the sheriff walks out of the room and Mark then turns to Jonathan and he's like, man, Charlie doesn't drink. The sheriff is definitely lying about the drinking. He's like, man, if that guy had one sip, he would be sick all night. We find out Charlie was actually allergic to alcohol. So Charlie literally didn't drink. Already their case is full of holes. We could see some of Mark's cop investigation skills. Mm -hmm. He's really sniffing out the leads. And then there's a shot of the window in the sheriff's office and that blonde bike gang leader is just standing outside the window staring in at Mark and Jonathan. Just lurking outside the window with murdery eyes. Gotta keep an eye out in a small town, you know? And they, uh, as much as they hunger for justice, Mark also hungers for a little bit of a snack. So in our next scene, we see them walk into a bar. Green walls, a lot of lights that have like red clear fixtures around them. So it's kind of this red and green, but just kind of dingy. Lots of smoking. Is there a lot of smoking on screen? No, actually. Okay. Interestingly enough, there was no smoking in this bar that I remember because that would have been time appropriate. Wasn't that weird? I've never tried to explain it to like, because I don't want to like share cigarette <laughs> stories with children. Romanticizing <laughs> smoking to I the I can't younger. imagine like explaining to like a nine-year-old kid, oh yeah, back in the day when you used to go to the restaurant, they'd be like, oh, would you like a table? Smoking or none? And before that, they didn't even ask. No, they were just like, here's a table over here. Everybody's smoking. Mm -hmm. You want a cigarette? Would you like me to clean your ashtray for you? And also, wasn't it peculiar to like even try to explain that there was a no smoking section? Because if there was a smoking section in a restaurant, the whole restaurant smells like cigarettes. Yeah. Or that even going to a bar always meant that you would come home smelling like cigarettes. Oh, exactly. Whether you smoked or not. And then you could be like, I don't smoke. I was just in the bar. Yeah, guys. It was my friends. All right. So they're in this little um, non-smoking cafe and bar. And Mark orders some hot apple pie and coffee. Oh, <laughs> because every bar serves hot apple pie. Well, see, this wow, is why I, wish. I was like, it's a cafe, but it really felt like more of a small town cafe that maybe serves some beers at night. So uh, Mark and Jonathan are sitting at the bar and they get their apple pie and coffee. Then a big old gentleman walks up to Mark. Yeah, and this guy does have a beer. He's drinking a bottle of looks like beer. <laughs> does he say, hey, are you new to the Yabba? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen you here before. Let me buy you a beer. He does have an accent. He has a southern accent. He also has a denim shirt and a denim vest on. Were they like the same shade of blue? No, the vest was darker. We eventually learn this guy's name is Bubba, and uh, we can do a dramatic reenactment of him when he approaches Mark. I would love to hear it. Rachel, would you like to be Bubba and I can do Mark's verbose part? I mean, All right, get out that southern accent. Come looks on, like Rachel. I get the good lines. Go for it. And go. Excuse me for staring, but we don't see too many hippies in this part of the country. What? Hippies. Long-haired one here and you. What did you forget to shave? Scene. That's my southern accent. It was wonderful, guys. Thanks. And that's how life was in a small town America in the 1980s. 20, 25 years after Woodstock, there's still old farmer guys being like, man, cut your hair, long hair. That did make me laugh because it is very time appropriate for 1984. But yeah, you don't hear that thrown around much anymore. Long haired hippie, Michael Landon. Yeah, it was that was kind of cute. So this guy, Bubba, he goes up to them and he pours his beer out on top of Mark's apple pie. Well, he has a reason for doing that. Well, he doesn't want Mark to burn his mouth yeah, on the hot says, apple pie. he says, you guys are quiet hippies. You must be nice hippies. I'm going to treat you nice. That apple pie is hot. Let me cool it off for you. This guy is bad news. Mark might have not objected had it not been a used <laughs> beer. But for me, I'm like, yeah. Apple pie and beer doesn't really go together. And it was mostly backwash, probably. So then Mark's not, Mark's not happy about this. Mark stands up. He gets confrontationally stands up and he's like, oh, all right, that's it. Is uh, Mark going to summon the power of his angel magic friend to well, like become a robot cyborg of violence again? He's thinking about it. Bubba's like, ooh, the hippies are mad. Try to do something nice for a stranger and he gets mad. And then he looks at Mark and he goes, how mad are you? Mark turns to Jonathan and gives him one of those little asides and he's like, hey, are you with me? <laughs> <laughs> please, please, can I punch this guy? He's giving me 17 reasons. Please, can I punch this guy? Jonathan, of course, is like, no, I didn't order anything. Dang it. So then Jack, the bike gang leader, comes in. Jack is everywhere in this episode. Yes. And Jack's kind of upset with Bubba. He's like, what are you doing, Bubba? Why are you messing with strangers? And Bubba's like, I'm just having fun, Jack. 
And then he says the first of a theme that he's going to repeat throughout this episode. He's like, me and the boys put in a lot of time looking for your buddy, Charlie. We didn't find anything. My theory is Charlie's down in Mexico right now with the new little senorita. So he's he's tagging on what his father, the sheriff, said. And he's like, look, you know what? Why don't you just leave your number? You guys can get out of town. I'll call you back when we find Charlie. Yeah, just, you know, call me. I'll call you guys and just let you know that Charlie's definitely not murdered yeah. and... I will just confirm it once I know that he totally abandoned mm-hmm. his family. So Don't worry about it. Mark, not surprisingly, is not convinced by this argument. He smells something fishy. Does he ever say, I smell something fishy? His face does. If you leave your phone number, I'll have Charlie call you as soon as he comes back. Maybe a while, though. My guess is he's down in Mexico right about now with some young senorita. <laughs> well, you knew him pretty well, huh? Well, no, not real well, but... Well, I knew him really well, and I know he's not with any senorita. Oh, yeah? Well, where do you think he is? I don't know. I'm sure going to find out. What do I owe you? Nothing. Forget it. It's on the house. We'll see you around. See you around. Sounds very intimidating. I'm sure Jonathan Price was shaking in his little angel boots. He's like, oh, no, no, Sheriff's son, please don't threaten me. Clearly the Sheriff's son is involved in something here. So they've got the Sheriff's son there. We also have Bubba the Denim Hick. Bubba the Denim Hick is played by actor Joshua Cadman, who is our hit the music. Quantum Leaper. Excellent. Tell me all about this guy. He was in season three, episode nine of Quantum Leap called Rebel Without a Clue. He played a biker. Typecasting. Sam leaps into the body of Shane, Funny Bone Thomas, a biker, and a member of a gang, the Cobras, circa 1958. Al tells him that he's there to prevent the murder of Becky, a young idealist who's shown great potential as a writer. Doesn't his announcer voice sound great over this music? (laughs) Sometime in the next 24 hours, she will be stabbed, but Al doesn't know by who. Despite Sam's several attempts to convince her to leave, she refuses to do so. She's inspired by Jack Kerouac's On the Road and wants to experience life. Sam decides there's only one person who can convince her otherwise. Jack Kerouac himself. Did you guys read On the Road growing up? I can't say I have. I feel like in my teenage years, I read it really, really wanting to like it, and I didn't. Might be worth trying to peruse again. It's No Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Yeah, I've read that too. Or the sequel, The River. He also wrote one called Dog Song, which I really liked I mean, about the a best kid thing who ran I could say song. is I wasn't like a boy in the Midwest, so I'm not in love with Gary Paulson. But Delusions of Forest Abandonment. I have read zero of the books you guys just mentioned. Well, you didn't miss much there, Sam. Well, I'm glad to know that there's at least one Leapser. We've been a little light on Leapsers the last couple of yeah, episodes. Yeah, I mean, initially I was expecting at least one, if not more, for every episode. I do think that in just about every episode, we're going to have somebody who's either been in Bonanza or Gunsmoke. <laughs> or Little House on the Prairie. There have been quite a few who are also in Little House on the Prairie, I've noticed. I mean, if I get a call from Michael Landon, I, I would do it a second. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Me too. So this is something we've seen before. This is just a community corrupt to the bone. Well, you know, what are you going to do when you're a small town in the middle of nowhere? How do you make money? But if everybody in the small town is in the mob, then who are they screwing over? I don't know. All right, so it's nighttime. Mark and Charlie's wife, Sarah sitting on the front porch, sitting on a porch swing. They're having a little conversation. He's like, how well do you know the sheriff? Man, he said something about Charlie drinking. And she's like, that's not Charlie. Mark says, I remember when they brought in that belly dancer at his bachelor party. She was so close to him, he didn't know where to look. (laughs) I guess it's just a happy memory about Charlie. But actually, I did like that it was a belly dancer and not a stripper. (laughs) It's very (laughs) highway to heaven. They're laughing and then the sound of airplanes interrupts their laughter. Oh, man. And Mark goes out and looks up there and he's like, oh, these little remote airplanes. And she's like, yeah, it's a local hobby. Yeah, you get used to it living around here. You don't even hear it anymore. And Mark's like, they fly them at night? That seems weird. She's yeah. like, everyone does. Even the sheriff's kids got one. She's like, what kind does he have? And she's like, a bomber. He can put a lot of cocaine in it, turns out. 
two, three kilos some days, depending on the winds. So is this town close enough to Mexico? Are they trying to tell us that they're flying cocaine over the imaginary border of Mexico? They don't come out and say it, but I felt like that's what they were inferring. There's all the references about Charlie going over the border. So, Mm -hmm. you know, being in Mexico. So it must be fairly close. This all checks out for me because back in the (laughs) 1980s, I grew up in a small town in central Minnesota called Princeton, Minnesota. It's a little pre-internet, so it might be a little hard to find, but sometime in the 80s, there was this guy named Casey Ramirez who moved into Princeton and just buttered everybody up. He was flinging money around, buying drinks at the bar. He'd go into my uncle's restaurant and be like, hey, everybody, I'm Casey Ramirez. Your breakfast is on me. Have a good day. My name is Casey Ramirez. Don't forget my name. And he bought like the whole police force cop cars, but they were like what would pass as like a Geo Metro of the day. That's kind of crazy. And he also built the community a youth hockey arena. This giant concrete structure where kids still to this day play a lot of hockey. He sounds like a really good guy. Yeah, he was a philanthropist who came out of nowhere, but it turns out he was laundering money through one of the local banks and he was flying a single engine plane out of, there's an air pad in Princeton, somewhere out, out in the flatness somewhere. He was flying a single engine plane into that airport from like some South American country. But it was a famous enough news story that it actually got covered on one of those weird shows they do in the summertime on a network like Fox where they're like, real police stories. And then they told the whole story about how the detective who busted Casey Ramirez actually went into the hangar where Casey was flying a single engine plane and he took a sample of the dust that was in the air filter. And he was able to say, this is dust from South America. Wow. That's a really good story. That's like your hometown drug story. Yeah. He just had a regular sized plane because, you know, he needed a regular sized plane to fly all that cocaine into Princeton, Minnesota. too far to fly a remote control plane. So what I'm hearing is Princeton doesn't value entrepreneurs. Not anymore, they don't. (laughs) Do you remember this happening when you were a kid? You would have been little. I do remember being like four, five, six years old and seeing news stories about it on the TV. And I remember my uncle was interviewed just for a tiny blurb on the news. Like, I don't remember exactly what my uncle said, but he said something to the tone of like, you know, seemed like an okay guy to me. I want to say for the record that my family had nothing to do with this whole operation and I don't want to make my uncle seem like a schmoob. There was no money laundering going through the restaurant. That's a really interesting story. So this one's hitting home. It's cocaine planes, guys. Yeah, this is suddenly a lot more real to me. So now we are at the local hobby shop and Mark is on the trail. He is talking to the owner about model airplanes. Well, these radio control units must be expensive. Well, some are. Some aren't. How high they run? You name it, into the thousands. Jack Harm has quite a plane out here. Oh, yeah. It's a beauty. Must be top of the line. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, when any fellas around here get that kind of money? I wouldn't know. You uh, don't need to spend a fortune. Let me show you this little... Oh, no. Never mind. I think I'll pass. I don't think I have the patience anyhow. Thanks again. Hey, uh, what does Jack Harm do for a living? I really don't know. Well, a town this size, you think everybody know what everybody did? We're small town folks. We don't poke into other people's business. And as soon as Mark turns around and walks off, the hobby shop owner's smile falls and he turns to a panicked expression. Because he's in the bike gang. Everyone's in the bike gang. <laughs> Who does this bike gang even have to beat up in town if everybody's in the gang? That's what I'm Maybe saying, Maybe they guys. were just like roughhousing. Maybe it was like an initiation. Some hazing. We're pulling your shirt over your head. Hey, guys, don't pull you my out. shirt over my head. This is my favorite shirt. Oh, you're stretching out the neck. <laughs> So next, what happens next? We're down in like a quarry area and Jonathan and the little boy Robbie are hunting rocks. And Robbie knows a lot about rocks. He's like, look, this is rose quartz. And they talk about rocks a little bit. So happy about the rose quartz. Well, and Robbie does say that he learned about rocks from his dad. So I think it was like a dad and Robbie hobby. It was a dad and Robbie hobby because... Well, and, and they hoped for more. Dad and Rabbe Habe. That's hard to say. It's a Habe. Dad and Rabbe Habe. I think we have the name of their store because we find out that Dad was planning on retiring in a couple years, and Dad and Robbie were going to open up a rock hobby store. A rock shop. Nice. Mm-hmm. Robbie's rock shop. Yeah. Dad Come and on, Dad. Because mm-hmm. Robbie lets us know that Dad has told Robbie that he does not want Robbie following in his footsteps. He doesn't want Robbie to be a cop. He says it's a lousy job. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. 
Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over. You know, we found out earlier that Sarah said Robbie didn't know where his dad was, but he obviously knows what's going on because after he tells Jonathan this little story about dad's going to retire and he's going to open up a rock store with me, he kind of pauses and he goes, well, at least that's what we were going to do. So he knows something's going on. Yeah, kids know. I mean, kids don't need to know every detail that happens in life. They don't need every piece of information. Oh, he said he was going to call at 530. It's 535, Robbie. He must be dead. So, you know, they can be filtered out. But at a certain point, you end up creating problems when you come out of balance. And then if you go really far, you just become it becomes lazy script writing, which this isn't. But okay, that's what grinds my gears in so many shows. When somebody has the fact and they make the big plot point that the two people who know that the other person needs this information just doesn't share it. Mm-hmm. So they stretch it out for like three episodes. We're like, why don't you just tell this person you're arguing? Why aren't you telling them that it's a misunderstanding? Yeah. There are other ways to have 16 episodes a season, not just like stretching the middle three out, you know. Nevertheless, at this point... Uh, well, who haven't we seen for a while? Well, we haven't seen Charlie for a good long while because <laughs> he's dead. Yeah, we're not really going to see Charlie again. It's it's not Charlie. I'd um, wager to bet we're either going to go talk to the bike gang or we're going to see the sheriff. Those are all good guesses. It's Jack, the leader of the bike gang, pulls up on his little motorbike, kind of, what do you call it, like on the road above the quarry? He's like looking down at yeah, he's Jonathan up on the edge. and Robbie. And he's like, hey guys, guess what? I have some news. Bubba saw Charlie driving in his car by the border earlier today. So it's all cool. You guys can leave town now. Your friend can stop looking. See you around. Take care now. Yeah, he he says that almost after every interaction. You guys take care now. What do you mean he thought he saw? Well, he's riding along on his bike when Charlie's car passed him. But Bubba's pretty sure it was him. I just wanted to save your friend the trouble of searching for nothing. Well, that's very kind of him. Hey, that's what small town folks are all about, huh? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. You take care now. Come back and see us real soon, huh? I will. I'll do that. The kid's like, oh, that's great. My dad's alive. I'm going to go tell mom. That's what Robbie is pretty excited. Well, Robbie isn't necessarily thinking his dad's dead. So he's more like, my dad's home. Yeah. And then something really strange happens. Jack takes off on his bike. And then all my notes say, oh, no, the smoke monster from Lost is coming. Yeah. Like the biggest (laughs) windstorm you've ever seen is suddenly blowing up around Jonathan and Robbie. Trees are bending. The wind is howling. Dust is blowing. And Jonathan looks concerned. The kid says, oh, my God gosh, this must be a hurricane. And Jonathan's like, you better run on home, Robbie. And he's like, okay, good. I'll go tell mom about dad. And he says, "Uh, tell your mom that they aren't positive about your father. Cue the ominous music. Robbie's running towards home. The music is getting more scary. The wind is whipping even more. So much so that pointy pieces of wood can take flight and dab little David Faustino in (laughs) midair. Thankfully, that doesn't happen. Oh, phew. Okay. But now John is standing there with swirls of wind going around. Him, he's wearing his black leather jacket, his low cut brown v neck t shirt. He's looking very serious. What about sexy? Sounds kind of sexy. Sexy, competent. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Kind of like a captain on the stern of his boat facing down the ocean. And then we get a close up of rocks on the ground blowing away. As they blow away, there's something smooth underneath. Jonathan starts walking towards it. He sort of looks up at the sky like he's gotten his cue, and then he's zeroing in on what's being revealed as the 
the wind is blowing the sand away. This is interesting. We haven't seen something crazy like this before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're hiding all the coke in the quarry, I guess. Well, as the smoothness gets revealed, I wrote in my notes, this looks like a giant metal pipe or something. And as we're getting close to the actual revelation, this ominous music slows a little bit and it segues into the Highway to Heaven theme. And so that's when we find out it's Charlie's car. He yeah. digs oh down God. and you see a California license plate mm-hmm. sticking the car, up. The car has been buried. That takes a lot of flipping work. Right? No wonder everybody's in the bike gang. If you got to have enough people around to effectively bury a car overnight and yeah. not leave a trace, that's crazy. Pretty huge. This bike gang is even more dangerous than I thought. But still no matching jackets. It seems like given how many members there are of this particular bike gang, you'd get a pretty good discount on uniforms. The more shirts or jackets you order, the price per item is much less usually. Yeah, no, that's definitely a fact. So we're going to go back to the homestead. Jonathan comes back to the house and he runs into Mark and Mark is actually excited to go look for Charlie because Robbie the son has come running back and told everybody that there's been a Charlie sighting. So Mark's gotten his hopes up and John Mm -hmm. just has this very serious face on and he's like, he's like, look down. No, I found Charlie's car. Yikes. Jonathan tells Mark that he found the car because he, capital H, wanted Jonathan to find it. And now he, capital H, wants Jonathan in on this case. So they they are officially involved. No, just they in case finally they got already. their job assignment? Yeah, this is now their job. The heaven- this is easily halfway through the show by yeah, now. Yeah. The Heavenly Bureau of Investigation has uh, given them jurisdiction. Because at this point, this whole episode has just been easy breezy. They've been on vacation. <laughs> they haven't been like putting themselves into the lives of the local people in this town at all. So they've clocked in and they are heading down to the sheriff's office to tell them that they're on the case. Well, to tell them they found the car, I think. Hmm, that seems like a good reason, too. But when they get to the sheriff's office, the door is locked. They can't get in. And they're kind of like poking their heads in, trying to look inside when, wouldn't you know it, Jack shows up. There's Jack on his motorbike again. Hey, you looking for my dad? Yeah, you know where he is? Sure do. Fishing. He takes two weeks off this time every year. He's going to pass this year until he hears Bubba spotted old Charlie. No reason to stick around now. Who's in charge when he's gone? Nobody. No need. I mean, we're a small town. We got no trouble here. That's the nice thing about small towns, you know? Yeah. You take care. Don't forget, Charlie's alive. Dad's on vacation. Bye. Y'all take care. And then they turn around and Mark says this. He repeats a line that Jack says and goes, you know, the nice thing about small towns, there's only one place to rent a backhoe. And we see across the street from the sheriff's. From the sheriff's office is a gas station with a backhoe sitting out in front of it. So they go to try to rent the backhoe. The gas station attendant is suspicious. Nervous. And he looks nervous, a little fidgety, kind of darting eyes around. And he's like, what do, what do you guys need the backhoe for? You don't want to dig up that car that we used the backhoe to bury the car with a couple of nights ago, do you? He's like, it's broken, man. He's not quite great at thinking on his feet. We broke it burying that guy mm-hmm. last week. He needs an entire overhaul. Can't rent it to you. And John's like, ah, don't worry about it. I got this and he hops in. He's like, let me take a look. I'm pretty good with machinery. And Mark's like, yeah, he's got a touch. Let him try. (laughs) Nice. This machine has not been touched by an angel yet. Good one. Is that another one for the karma counter? Yes. I'm starting to get what I want. What are we up to right now? We're at three. We're at three already? The first two are slightly controversial. If we're including the airplane crashing, the airplane's engine turned off at the beginning and crashed. And then Charlie's vehicle wasn't able to start. That is true. These are both facts you are presenting to the panel. I don't know if they fit. Uh, for me, they don't count. I'm not even going to lollygag around the point. I don't yeah. think the first two count because Michael Landon wasn't present okay. in the narrative of the program yet. Yeah, I have to agree with that. So as far as the ever-changing rules that we're establishing here on the show, I see this backhoe as the only instance of karma so right. far. So we're at one because of course it starts up as soon as Jonathan tries. Nervous fidgety guy is still trying to prevent them from taking it away and he says, you guys are strangers. I can't let you just walk off with a piece of equipment and then jonathan and mark get pretty serious oh mark does a good line he goes then come with us nice because either way we are renting it one way or another we are taking this backhoe if you don't trust us come with us i liked that I liked no that. doubt and then the guy's like okay we'll just have it back today because i got it rented out for the rest of the week <laughs> it doesn't add up they take the backhoe and so in the next scene we see mark operating the backhoe they dig a big hole around the car mark jumps down and looks around he's like not in there Think there's still a chance? I don't know. He 
TV's in the trunk, dummy. This That's is what a I TV said. show. That's what I said. But they don't check the trunk. And then there's really sad music. But That's, he's not in the trunk. So I'm just going to give you that spoiler. Well, I'm happy to know he's not in the trunk. But they should have checked. They should have checked. This is lousy police work mm-hmm. on Victor French's part. The next thing we see is Victor French driving the backhoe down the road. Towing Charlie's car behind it. Off in the woods, we see the rental guy, the nervous rental guy, looking through binoculars, watching him. Then he hops on a dirt bike and uh, rides off. Everybody's got a dirt bike. I'm just imagining this fidgety guy as a young Dennis Weaver from Touch of Evil. Mm. Uh, I'm the the nightman. If they think I'm going to clean the rooms, they got another thing coming. I mean, he has that air to him, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, so these cocaine cowboys, cow kids. Cow kids, yes. He rides off, presumably back to uh, the gang. Welcome back to the cocaine cow kids motorcade. Welcome back to the camp, Jack. What do you got to say to the fidgety guy here? Jack has a lot to say to the fidgety guy, just not quite yet. We're at Sarah and Charlie's house. They've towed the car back to the home. This must just hack away at Sarah. Oh, yeah. She comes running out, and she's like, it's, it's Charlie's car. It's Char- and John's like, I found it a little way from here. Somebody buried it. And Sarah's like, Charlie? And John's like, no sign of him. Sarah, I want you and Robbie to drive off into Kohler. You'll be safe there. She's like, wait, what about the sheriff? Hold on, hold on a second. Joel, I certainly don't mind you doing a one-man show here, but, you know, Rachel's on a lot of cold medicine. We all understand that, but, like, don't just write her out of the scenes here. This is a role play. This is what the people keep coming back for. I can still do my job. All right, you can be Sarah. I'll be John. Charlie's car. Found a little way from here. Somebody buried it. Charlie? No sign of him. Sarah, I want you to drive Robbie into Kohler. You'll be safe there. What about the sheriff? The sheriff's gone. I'm not sure if we can trust him anyhow. Well, this can't run. Oh, it'll run. Believe me. All right, Robbie, come on. And when you get there, I want you to call Charlie's supervisor and tell him we found the car. I can't believe the car encounter in only two scenes is mm-hmm. up to two cars. Yeah, Sarah and Robbie get in the car, and of course the car starts right up. All right, well, see you later, Dave Faustino and his mom. Just getting them out of town, basically. It's always the good guy move. You got to be the person that's like, get out of here. Leave town right now. You understand me? Don't look back. No matter what you hear, don't come back for me. Don't stay with me if you want to live. Yeah. So we're cutting to some kind of garage type area. It's a little ambiguous, but it looked like kind of just a large storage space. It's kind of the cocaine cowboy crawl space. (laughs) And uh, the rental guy, uh, we learn his name is Arnie. He tells Jack what's took place. Jack socks him in the face, yells at him, and then pulls out a gun. They start to have a very close conversation. I don't know if Jack is like pulling Arnie in towards him, but just picture them basically like face to face. And I feel like Jack was like holding onto Arnie's like jacket collar. And then they started whispering into each other's mouths (laughs) romantically. Jack is confronting Arnie and he's saying, Arnie, you got us into this. You got to get us out of this. And Arnie's like, no, Jack, you shot the guy. You killed him. Him. So just in case there was any doubt. Arnie's here to clear it up for everybody. He's like, exposition, everybody. Jack is a murderer. Well, we knew it all along. Jack is a primo bad guy, and yeah. I guess he's got the stripes to prove it. He's willing to shoot people in order to protect his uh, remote control cocaine plane operation. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they are pretty ridiculous, gang. And at this point, Arnie and Jack are both trying to blame everything on each other. Jack is basically saying, you screwed everything up, Arnie. Now you better clean it up. All right, Arnie. You got us into this. You're going to get us out. What I got us into? You shot the guy. You killed him. Hey, I get to see foreigners. You screw up. Don't worry, you said. All the planes are in perfect shape. Well, if that plane didn't go down, we'd all still be in clover. I did my best, Jack. I did my best, Jack. That's not good enough, Arnie. Now, you listen. Me and the boys are going to be down at Sid's tonight. Just kicking back, having a few beers with the folks. You know where you're going to be? Getting rid of everybody in that house. No, Jack, I, I can't do that. Oh, yes, you can, Arnie. And you will. And don't worry about it. It'll just look like some lunatic on the loose. They may even think old Charlie did it. I told my dad Bubba saw him. Yep. Old Charlie just... Finally went crazy. Jack, you can't do that. There's a kid in that house and you can't. You want to die, Arnie? Right now? Huh? I mean, what a waste, Arnie. All that money we've been saving up and you won't be around to spend any of it. What a waste, Arnie. 
so he tells him, you know, go in and uh, kill everyone. They'll think Charlie did it. And then we see it's nighttime, and we see a van pull up at night. Arnie gets out while nighttime detective funk music starts playing. <laughs> I can hear it already. Arnie gets out, and he holds up into the air a big silver revolver, and he opens up the door into a dark, empty room. Then light falls down onto the dining room table. And it's a birthday cake. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and John is sitting there holding that birthday cake. It is so hard to plan a surprise party for Arnie. I mean, you have to get really involved because he finds out everything. Yeah. So there's no birthday cake, but does the light reveal that Jonathan Smith is just sitting there in the dark yeah. waiting for him? Yeah, he's sitting in the dark just staring at the front door. And he's staring dead at Arnie and he's like... Hello, Arnie. And, and it's spooky. It's super spooky. It made us both jump. It's like, intense. Oh. Yeah. Nice. There was also an episode a couple episodes ago, one or two episodes ago, where Jonathan was on the TV and then in the room. Yeah. Yes. It's very similar. Yeah. He's pulling off the spooky moves. Yeah. I mean, as we've talked about before, Michael Landon is a good actor. Creepy. This is a little bit of a subcategory. Let's put this under spooky moves. Yeah. Ooh. Arnie, in response to seeing Jonathan sitting at the table, just starts shooting at him. <laughs> Yeah. So Arnie starts shooting at Jonathan, and we already know that Jonathan is impervious to bullets. This time the bullets are just ricocheting. We don't actually see them ricochet off Jonathan, but that's the uh -huh. impression I got. Then out of the blue, over the corner, Mark jumps out and grabs Arnie by the throat. <laughs> nice. And lifts him up and shoves him against the wall. And he's like, where's Charlie? Where's Charlie? Arnie is sweating a lot he's at like, this point. I'm the night man. <laughs> Arnie then just spills his guts and confesses to everything. If they think I'm going to keep this secret, they got another thing coming. Tells them that uh, Jack killed Charlie and we buried him. Well, I knew it happened, but I am sorry to hear that Charlie is officially dead and buried somewhere. There is part of me that was fairly certain he was dead, but was still hoping he might make a miraculous re-entry at some point. Mm -hmm. But no. Jonathan tells Arnie to take them to where they buried Charlie. So the next shot, we've got Mark and Jonathan are digging by the light of the truck's headlights. The truck is spotlighting Mark and Jonathan digging out in the middle of nowhere. Arnie is standing there just watching them. And then Mark comes across something. They don't really show what they come across, but all of a sudden their faces just get really sad. Oh. Mark takes his hat off and kind of puts it over his chest. I think he started crying. He looks up at John with just heartbroken eyes. Then he reaches down and he grabs Charlie's body and hugs him to his chest and he starts crying. Oh, sounds very tender. Yeah, and then he's like, I'm going to get him, Charlie. I swear to you, I'm going to get him all. Jonathan looks upset and looks up at the sky. Everyone's just really sad. And Mark grabs Arnie and shoves him and tells him, Now we're going to go see your friends, right? We're going to see your friends. It's going to be just like in the Bible, right? An eye for an eye. Now you don't have to go, Jonathan. You don't have to be there. Jonathan? Jonathan is gone. Well, that's some angel magic for you. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if Jonathan ends up where all the other bad guys are, just out of nowhere. <laughs> well in advance of Mark getting there because Mark wants to have a one-man murder party. Let's cut to the bar slash cafe with a row of motorbikes parked in front of it. He's going to knock them all over like dominoes. <laughs> Oh, I wish. So it's nighttime. There is a big rainstorm that has broken out. It's just thunder and lightning, rain pelting down. So we're inside this diner bar. There's Bubba and Jack and the whole gang are there talking. All the bad guys are there. Jack is basically telling everyone not to worry. He's got it all covered. Even if Arnie screws up, he's planted like 40 grand in Arnie's stuff. So even if Arnie dies or doesn't do it all the way, he's totally, totally framed. Yeah, here's Jack's plan. He's like, we plant the money. Arnie's got the gun. Arnie's got the backhoe. If it comes down to it, we'll help those guys out. We'll be like, hey, let's go look for that body one more time. We'll find the body. We'll be good citizens. He literally says, just relax and have another beer. So Jack orders everybody another round of beers. And immediately after that, we get a huge crash of 
thunder, lights dim. Wind blows the door open and standing there filling the frame in his black leather jacket like Arnold Schwarzenegger himself in Terminator 1 is our angel, Jonathan Smith. Would this qualify as another spooky move? It reminded me of Frankenstein. It sounds like Frankenstein. It reminded me of a scene from the new series, Sabrina the Teenage Witch on Netflix when she enters a church and there's a large rash of thunder and lightning, but I'm guessing nobody at this table has watched that. Unfortunately not. I apologize. It's super dramatic, though. Jonathan steps through, and the doors are actually saloon doors. Oh, the swingy kind. And they swing shut behind him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is some, like, gun smoke bonanza business right here. The sheriff has come back. This is right in the Landon wheelhouse. Jack is still pretty cool, though. Jack's like, well, looky, the city hippie's back. Come on in and have a shooter. It'll warm you up. Charlie was a good man. He was a good husband and a good father. Yeah, so what? what's that to me? I always got along with him. Then why did you kill him? Come on, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about killing a man for money. The money you have buried under the floor of the shed behind the general store. You're out of your mind. What are you going to say to the feds when they find out your good old boys have $583,000 in cash, minus the 40000 you put in Arnie's dresser drawer? Who the hell are you? Somebody who knows the truth. Oh yeah? It's not going to do you much good. See, we're all part of it. All of us. Everyone in this bar. Duh, look around. Everyone here is part of it. It. Raise your hand if you're in the gang. Oh, looks like everybody. And then he's like, boys, let's go and find your friend. I don't quite remember what that, I don't understand that. Boys, he turns to his crew friend. and he's like, hey, boys, let's go and find, and then he turns to John, your oh, friend. Oh, They're going to go find Mark. They're going to kill Mark and John. And so the two gang members then go up and grab each of John's arms, kind of like they're going to play tug of war with him. And then John throws his arms back, launching them into the air and crashing down onto two tables. I love it. They fell straight on their backs onto the tables, right? The Terminator angel is back. Then another guy goes and he grabs a big chair and runs at John and swings it at John's chest. Breaks over his chest. Doesn't even disturb the leather jacket and it just shatters like as if it, he has a force field around him. Amazing. Then some guys come out and start throwing punches at John and he grabs them by the hands, throwing them into the air, crushing their hands, tossing these people all over the bar. Crushing their hands? And he's com- a little off-brand. He's completely unflapped. Not a hair out of place. And then Sid the bartender turns and pulls out a shotgun, aims it at John, fires, and the windows on either side of John shatter, and John just blinks. (laughs) And here's where then at this point Bubba just like freaks out. Jack shot him. He's the one. He shot him. Shut up. And you were right about the money too. I'll show you where the stuff is. Twelve pounds of it pure. It was all Jack's fault. We'd be rich, he said. It's in the tank under the gas station. Shut up. No, I'm not going to burn for you. You're the one who killed Charlie. I'll show you. Lizzie. Where'd you go? The camera turns towards the door, and we can see that the sheriff is now back. And the sheriff's like, oh, man, now I got to do my job. The sheriff is sitting there, and he's just surprised, like, what? The sheriff is the one person who's not in on it. And I think Joel and I both at this point turned to each other and were like, wait, the sheriff didn't know? Because it seemed like the sheriff knew. Yeah, it seemed like the sheriff knew, but apparently the sheriff had no idea. So he does go on vacation for two weeks in the summer, leaving zero cops in town. We're getting an idea why it was easy to start a drug-running motorbike gang, but I did have some questions about the sheriff's earlier interaction with Mark and Jonathan, because he was the one who passed on the story that Charlie's been seen drinking around town. Yes. And so I was like, I guess the sheriff never saw Charlie drink. He was just passing on maybe what his son told him, but... You know, that's plausible. It's thin. So the sheriff confronts his son, and he's like, Son, why did you do all of this? And then Jack turns to his dad and he says, For money, old man. For money. Do you think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this two-bit town, fishing for a vacation in the stream? There's a world out there that I want to see. You let me go. I swear to God, I'll kill you. The sheriff is just super disappointed in his son, and he's like, dear God, I don't even know you. I've created a monster. Yeah. He says, you are not my son. Not right now, he isn't. Gee whiz. (laughs) I'll kill you? 
Yikes. Jack has some problems. I think at this point, the bike gang flees the bar. I'd say the bike gang is probably dissolved at this point. Like The organization (laughs) will be shuttering any operations at the end of the calendar year. Probably. They go outside. They're about to hop on their motorcycle when there's a spotlight shining down on them and helicopter blades. The feds have showed up, and they're like, the town is surrounded, there's nowhere to run, but of course they're going to try to run. They decided to leave their bikes behind. I don't think their bikes started, maybe. Oh, I didn't catch that, but that is highly possible. Because why would they have not taken their bikes? That's probably true. Well, that puts the karma count through the roof. Wow, yeah, I think it was probably six. I know for sure there were six, maybe more. I guess we're calling it six. Wow. Gee whiz, we're already up to eight. And then a bunch of unmarked police cars with more of that low red light on the top. The cars pull up and guys in button-up shirts with a tie and a shotgun get out. Your classic federal agent. So I guess Michael Landon put in a call to the FBI before he showed up to do his Angel Frankenstein routine. Yeah, I bet Michael Landon did a few favors for the FBI. I wouldn't be surprised. I would say certainly Mark didn't because... For all we know, Mark is still bringing Arnie to the murder party. A big red truck pulls up, and it's Arnie's truck. Yeah. Mark is having him drive this truck. They get out. Mark's got a gun in his hand. And Arnie's like, oh, if they think I'm going to clean this up, they got another thing coming. And uh, he's basically pulling him around with a gun in his hand, which is quite a different look for this show. Okay, so Mark is just waving a gun around back into the old cop business. But this time, he's like, cop with no badge. Yeah, I mean, his best friend did get murdered. Not That's that, true. I, I did know. forget that Charlie and Mark were actually close personal friends. Yeah. Mark is running up with his gun. He's got Arnie and there's like the group of the gang people all around and John walks up to Mark and touches him on the shoulder and says It's over, Mark. Thanks for not letting me. I don't think you would. Yeah, I think I would have. I think I would have. Yeah, I definitely would have. Until you touched me a second ago with your magic angel hand, I felt like I was back in the middle of Korea. I was going to squeeze a few shots off. So the motorbike gang has been caught. Charlie's death has at least been resolved. We're starting to wrap things up here. So our next scene, we're in the cemetery. And it looks like we're just finishing up Charlie's funeral. So we see Sarah, we see Robbie, Jonathan and Mark, a small crowd doing some goodbyes here. Robbie goes up to Jonathan and Mark. He says goodbye to Mark. Mark walks away. And then Robbie asks Jonathan, would it be bad if I broke a promise to my dad? Do you have any mm. any guesses? What do you, do you remember what Robbie might have promised his dad? It's something to do with the rock shop. He doesn't want to hunt rocks anymore. He doesn't want to hunt rocks anymore. He wants to hunt bad guys. So he's going to go against his promise to never become a cop, yeah. and he's going to become a cop? Mm-hmm. And John- well, this town could use a good one. Well, that's what Jonathan's like. I think, I think your dad would understand. And the mom and the son walk away, and they get inside their uh, black car. And then uh, John and Mark are left standing there. Mark turns to John and says, will there ever be a time in this country when they put drugs away forever? And John says, if there's not, there may not be a country to wonder about. If there's not, there might not be a country to wonder about. Yep, that's our closing line. It's a little confusing. It's a little little super clumsy. Just on the nose, a little unnecessary. This is right in the heat of like the war on drugs though, 1984, yeah. yeah. Just say no, this is your brain on drugs, any questions? The D.A.R.E. program. Yeah, because there were quite a few more issues going on in the situation than just drugs ruined everyone's life. And that's sort of what they seem to want to tie it into at the end of the episode. I mean, drugs didn't help. It wasn't really much of a drug operation, really. I mean, there was a murder. And apparently they did make some money at some point because there were mention of large sums of cash. And they were flying very expensive model planes. Yeah, the top of the line model planes. Okay, weird ending. Like, great action and then just like slightly deflated balloon as far as the last couple lines go. It was a good episode. I really enjoyed the action. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've seen that level of action yet. No, not at all. It also doesn't surprise me that it has a very anti-drug message. This is par for the course for 80s media. It's like all of society's problems are because of narcotics use. And it fits in very well with the overall messaging of this show because Michael Landon, in no uncertain terms, has been anti-alcohol 
alcohol and also anti-smoking. The thing that bugs me with the drug episode, and this is something that it was par for the course in the 80s, but so many other times they've shown us ways to empathize with the quote-unquote bad character, what their motivation was or how they've arrived to be like this. But they didn't show that at all with Jack in this situation. All he wanted was money and drugs were his way to accomplish that instead of showing us at least like why is Jack acting this way? Jack is very one-dimensional. They don't give him a backstory. He's just the bad guy. All right. Well, this has been actually quite an exciting episode. I would have to agree with everything you guys said. There's a tremendous amount of action in it compared to any episode. Lots of guns, some grabbing of necks. Sounded like a very great fight scene in the bar. Real Uh, Mm action-packed. Pretty decent story. Little uh, problems on the wrap-up for me, but uh, overall, uh, quite a compelling saga. All right, well, thank you. Thank you for coming over and telling me everything that happened in episode 14 of season one, guys. We're going to start wrapping up the show, Mm -hmm. and you all know how this goes. we got to talk about the moral of the story. I'll tell you what the moral of the story is today, guys. Please do. If you are bored in a border town and you got an attitude, just get all your friends from your model plane gang and make some friends who have some illegal drugs. You can start doing your own cocaine delivery operation doing the things you love flying model planes and hanging out with your friends and making money yeah i like that don't let anyone tell you you can't make money doing the things you love the moral of the story is if you have a hobby it's great if you can find a way for the hobby that you love to make money if you make your hobby your job you'll never work a day in your (laughs) life that's a bill of goods the internet has been trying to sell us for years All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, on a scale of 1 to 10 Landons, what is the Michael Landon factor of Season 1, Episode 14, Plain Death? This is a very tricky question for me because I've never seen more automobiles getting started and stopped through Angel Magic. I don't think the karma number will ever be higher than this episode. No. Terminator fight magic scenes, never seen anything higher than that as well. (laughs) Wonderful Michael Landon one-liners, not very many. I mean, it was a serious episode. Zero, like, shame lines. No crutch kickers. No (laughs) crutch kickers. Did dodge bullets twice. Didn't even dodge them. Was impervious to bullets two times. Yeah, don't forget the spooky moves, guys. And the spooky moves. This is what makes it so hard, because if I'm grading on a rubric, you're going to totally max out car magic, spooky magic, physical magic. So I can only go as high as a seven. That seven is so robust. If there had been like even one good crutch kicker line, I probably would have given it a 10. Okay. I agree with pretty much everything you've said there, Joel, because there is a certain gut feeling you have to go with Mm -hmm. on these episodes. Definitely. I'm going to actually go with the same thing as Joel. I'm going to say a seven. Well, Mm -hmm. that's no math for me. Season one, episode 14, Plain Death, according to Joel and Rachel, has an overall Michael Landon factor of 7.0. Let us know if you agree or disagree with that Michael Landon Factor, and anything else we have said on the show today, especially those juicy bits in the middle. Joel and Rachel, thank you so much for coming by the Channel 3 TV studio today to talk about another very exhilarating episode of Highway to Heaven. I mean, there is nothing we would rather be doing. Agreed. Thank you, Sam. Really? No problem. All right, as we say here on Highway to Heaven Revisited, uh, catch you next time on the Flippity Flop, y'alls. Yep. Bye. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. Are you married? No. Where you been? Believe it or not. We danced. You danced? Well, she must have liked that. You've been an angel and all. You must be light on your feet. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-356-2495. 
612-LOW-IS-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or, send the show an email at highwaytoheavenrevisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.